said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Dr. Sven Ostring. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you for this time that we can meet together. Uh, what a wonderful blessing it is to be back here at Stanmore Church, to be, to be able to worship together, to fellowship, uh, to learn and grow, uh, to have your mind. And Father, even as we worship here in, in, in peace and safety, uh, we recognize that a whole great controversy is raging around us. And sometimes, Father, this does affect us. Lord, we know that no matter what happens in this world, we can have your peace. We can have your joy as well. And so thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for pouring out your Holy Spirit. Uh, thank you for being with us uh, today on this beautiful Sabbath day, a day of rest um, in, your, in your love, in your peace, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I have a simple question for, for you today, and that is this. Would you like to prophesy? Would you like to prophesy? Now, I, I know you might be going like, well, hang on a minute. What, what, what exactly are you, uh, are you asking here? You know, that, that sounds, I need to know a little bit more. I need to know a little bit more. It sounds, it sounds supernatural. It sounds supernatural, but what do you mean? Well, the fact is this, uh, friends, that the world is looking for something more than just the ordinary. Is that right? The world is looking for something more. In fact, um, Gen Z, the, the, the younger generation, uh, are seeking connection to the, the transcendent. They, they, they want to experience uh, something more. In fact, it's not only Gen Z, it's also the, the larger postmodern culture as, as well is open to experiencing the supernatural. And this is why it's so important, friends and, and church family, to, to recognize that simply coming to church and doing the religious thing and singing from the, the same hymn book, shall I say, and, and doing the same thing every single week, that the fact is this is something deep in our hearts where we go like, I want to experience more. Is that right? Do you want to experience the presence of God? Amen. Do you want to experience the supernatural transforming power of God? This is not just, this is not just sort of business as usual. This is something that the world wants to experience. And I want to tell you, uh, friends, that the fact is this, the Holy Spirit is the supernatural person that Gen Z is seeking. The Holy Spirit, the, the, the promised gift that Jesus made to us when he said, I'm going to send you the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what the world is looking for. Now, of course, we know so well, you know, we talked a little bit about this morning in the introduction. We know so well that there are people that are experiencing the dark side, the bad side. But the fact is this, that there is a good Holy Spirit that can transform our lives and will make a difference in people's lives. And I want, to, I want to take you on a bit of a journey. In particular, one amazing um, gift that the Holy Spirit wants to give Stanmore Church. Stanmore Church. And that is, that is the, the, the spiritual gift of prophecy. In, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14, verse 1, it says this, Pursue love, 
pursue love, and that is agape love. That is divine love, unconditional love, love that does not change based on circumstances or, or, or how good you're looking or, or how wealthy you are. No, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Have you ever thought about that? The Bible actually says to pursue love, to desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. At the end of, of that chapter, it says this, So my brothers and sisters, earnestly desire to prophesy. Friends, church members, do you desire to prophesy? Yes or no? Do you desire to prophesy? Now, you still might be going like, I'm not quite sure. I'm not, I'm not sure what you mean here. Well, let's keep on design because uh, diving into it. Because the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, do not despise prophecies, correct? Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. And then we go to this amazing prophecy in the Old Testament. I love this prophecy in the book of Joel, and it shall come to pass afterward that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I'll pour out my spirit. So here's the the comprehension test. So in this passage, it, it said that God would pour out his spirit on a limited number of people who have theology degrees. Is that right? Or who are, who are elders? Wait, did I get that right? No, I, I've, so I've got it wrong. So, so, so it's only, only people who go to, to, to church every week and who are very, very faithful. Is that what it says? No. It says that God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Everybody who believes in Jesus Every person in particular, our young people, our sons and daughters, will prophesy. Can you say amen to that? Do you you want to see your kids, your young people, our young people, prophesying, prophesying for Jesus? That is an amazing, amazing journey. And I I want to put you out of your misery, and I want to give you Sven's definition for prophecy. So here we go. Sven's definition for what does it mean to prophesy? It means to share God's personal message with people and the world for this specific time. Is that correct? It's sharing God's message for for this time. Now, I want to I want to dive into this with you. I want to to kind of draw back and 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 explore what this really means. The fact is this is that we live in an amazing universe, do we not? And I'm sure you know, I'm sure you know that I love creation, I love cosmology, all of those kind of things. And as we dive into cosmology, what we find is that all of that universe points to the fact that there was somebody behind the universe that created this universe. Is that right? This universe had a beginning. This universe had a, had a, um, had a designer. And we see this. Not only do we see this um, in these beautiful nebula. Uh, we see it in the galaxies as well. Man, the, these are beautiful, aren't they? Totally and utterly beautiful. The, you know, the, the universe is finely tuned, finely tuned for you to exist. And not only at those big kind of, uh, uh, the, the overarching kind of picture, but also down to the very atoms and particles that make you up. You know, you're made up of uh, protons and neutrons and electrons and quarks and all of those kind of things. Did you realize that somebody is holding you together? Did you realize that? 
You, you know, you're, you're not just this independent person that goes off and, and does your thing, goes to Coles or Woolies and, you know, you, you go on your own journey in life. No, somebody is holding you together. Somebody is holding you together. And this is the amazing thing, is that person wants to communicate with you. Is that right? The person that created the universe wants to speak to you personally. Wants to speak to you personally. And it's so amazing that this person, this same person that created the universe and is holding you together, died on the cross so that you could live with him forever. Doesn't that just blow your mind away? Doesn't it just melt your heart that the creator of the universe would come down to this world and die on a cross so that you could have a relationship with him? And the reality is, friends, that is all the way down through history that this God has been wanting to communicate with you. Wanting to communicate with you. Let me share with you one one amazing story. And this is the story of a king. King of a vast empire, vast domain. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. And, you know, he went to sleep each night. And one of the things with kings is this. One of the things, if, you, if you're the top of a, uh, you know, corporation, if you're top of, a, of an empire, if you're Elon Musk, you know, uh, that, that is the CEO of, of Tesla and Twitter and things like that, there's a lot of stress involved in that uh, job. Is that right? There is a lot of stress. And the fact is that Nebuchadnezzar was a stressed man. He was a stressed man. Why was he stressed? He was stressed because he built this amazing empire and he thought to himself, what if somebody takes it away? What if somebody takes me out? You know, he heard of the, the, uh, the Medo-Persians, the growing empire over there. Um, he, he, he had his wise men. Some of those wise men were wiser than Nebuchadnezzar, Right. Some of them were more clever than him. And he thought to himself, you know, it is possible that one of my wise men will stab me in the back so that they can get my empire. Is that right? And so he would go to bed that night. He'd have sleepless nights because he was worrying about his empire, whether it would actually be, be an empire which would last forever. And then one night, one night he has this dream. He has this dream of this statue. And I know that you know this this well, particularly if you've been coming to this church for a long time. If you haven't, let me just give you a quick overview. So Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And it's a dream of a statue with a, uh, the statue um, has a head of gold, uh, the the arms and the the chest of silver, the belly of bronze, uh, um, then goes down to the legs of iron and then the feet of iron and clay. And he has this, this, this dream. And then suddenly this, this big rock comes flying out of, uh, of nowhere, out of space, and just crashes into this, this statue and destroys and builds this incredible mountain. Now, now think about it for a moment. Nebuchadnezzar is stressed because he believes, he, he's, he's concerned that his empire might be taken away, might be destroyed. Now, the question is this, does this dream uh, exacerbate his stress or does it calm him down? Yes or no? It makes him more stressed because he's going like, I think that's me. I think that's, I'm connected with it in some way. And the reality is this, is that God had a message for Nebuchadnezzar. So often, 
As Seventh-day Adventists, we, we look at that and we go like, wow, that is amazing. God gave a dream to Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel interpreted, which is a dream for us. No, it wasn't. At least not then. It was a message for Nebuchadnezzar, right? It was a message for Nebuchadnezzar. And what was the message? The message for Nebuchadnezzar was this. Your kingdom will not last. Your, I'm telling you plainly, your kingdom will not last. Babylon will fall. But he goes on as well. Every human empire will eventually crumble. God's saying it, saying to Nebuchadnezzar, you just can't build a human empire that will last forever. Those all have expiry dates, just like you're so good and, and your, your food in your cupboard. But there's good news. These have an expiry date. But the good news is that the kingdom that God will set up will never be destroyed. Is that good news? Amen. The kingdom that God will set up will never be destroyed. And guess what? The message that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar was, I want you to be part of my kingdom. I want you to be part of my kingdom. And, and over time, Nebuchadnezzar came to understand that. This was a prophecy, a message for Nebuchadnezzar. You know, this, this, this um, framework of prophecy is something that has continued all the way down through Bible times, even with Jesus. Jesus came on the scene. And what did he say to uh, the people? He said, the time is fulfilled. The expiry date has come. But he said, there's good news. The good news is this, that the kingdom of God is at hand. I want to invite you to be part of my kingdom that lasts forever. Do you see the pattern here? You know, he says, repent. We need to put aside the things which hold us back. You know, the, the Teslas, the, the Audis, the, the, the jobs, all of those things that, that kind of drag us down. And we need to believe the good news about God's kingdom. Is that right? We need to accept the message that God has for our time. And of course, this was not the only message. We had the message for Nebuchadnezzar. We had Jesus' message. And this was beside the, the River Jordan uh, or in, in Galilee and Judea. But Peter also had a message as well. Peter had a, he added to that message too. When, when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon Peter, he shared a powerful message. And what was the message? This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You're part of this world that has an expiry date. And you, you are prepared to even kill the, the messenger, the person that brings this good news to you. You kill him. But the fact is this, is that that is not the end of the story. The, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from God, the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And then he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. He is the Lord, the King of the kingdom that will last forever. The kingdom that will last forever. What, what um, Peter is doing is he's pulling back the, the, uh, the curtain between heaven and earth. And he's saying, up in heaven, there was a coronation service for, for Jesus. And at that coronation service, which occurred in the sanctuary in heaven, which is the control center for the universe, the Holy Spirit was poured out. And you see what we see right now, the, the Pentecostal power 
and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But the fact is this, there's something up there is happening which is amazing, absolutely amazing. So my question is this, does God have a special, special message for the world today? Yes or no? He does. He had a special message for Nebuchadnezzar. He had a special message for the people living in Judea and and Galilee. And, And of course, we can learn from that as well. But does he have a special message for the world today? Yes, he does. And secondly, is God calling his people to prophesy today? He is. He is. And the question is, church, the question is, what is your response to him? I want to, to share with you a little bit of, of history because this is a powerful, uh, powerful choice that you can consider. There was an African-American uh, Christian living in the northeastern states in America. And, you know, uh, he, God gave him a vision. Do you realize that? For two hours, he was in vision. And, 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 and when, he, when the, the message was finished, God said to him, I want you to go and share this message with the world. I want you to go and share this message with the world. And then uh, just a few, a few weeks later, he had another vision, t- 12 and a half hours uh, of uh, a message from God. And the thing is this, is that William Foy, he thought to himself, I'm African-American. I'm, I'm, I have a dark skin. I live in a, a, a racist America. How can I go and share this message? Because people will, will start to laugh at me. They'll reject me. They'll say, you know, you're, you're just being uh, too emotional. And he, he thought to himself and he thought, I can't do it. I can't face the rejection. But, you know, something was burning inside of his heart. Something was burning inside of his heart and he said, okay, I'll write it down. I'll write it down and give it to somebody. But still there was this, this, this burning inside of his heart which he said, I need to share it. And so finally, in his little corner of the world, he started to share the message that God had given to him. And guess what the response was? People started to, to, to come alive spiritually. They started to respond. They responded to the message that God had given to William Foy, an African-American preacher. At this time, at this time in the, in the early 19th century, there was another, another man. His name was Hazen Foss. Hazen Foss was a well-educated man, a man who had a whole lot of things going for him, we might say. And God gave him a vision as well. And God said to him, I want you to go and share. The problem with Hazen Foss was he said, I'm educated. I'm respected. People will laugh at me. They'll mock me. And what he said is, no, I will not share this message. I'll not share it. There was another uh, person as well, and his name was William Miller. William Miller was a a farmer, a a Baptist, and he started to read the Bible. Is, Is reading the Bible a good thing? Studying the Bible a good thing? He was studying Bible. He started in Genesis, going through verse by verse. All the way through. And then finally he got to the book of Daniel. And, and he started to uncover amazing things. One of the things that he uncovered was this. Is uh, this incredible time prophecy found in Daniel chapter 9. Where 
from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem in 457 BC, there was going to be 70 prophetic weeks. And this would take us all the way to when Jesus was baptized, AD 27. You following me? Uh, then in the middle of that week, the, the Messiah would be cut off. And at the end of those 70 weeks, suddenly the, the gospel, the good news would burst out around the world that we would hear this good news. 70 prophetic weeks. And you know, the amazing thing is this, is that God's timing, his clock was exactly on time. Amen? Exactly on time. When, when um, uh, William Miller saw this, uh, prophecy and, and studied it. He was going like, this is incredible. God's prophetic messages come true. We need to, we need to um, uh, take heed. We need to, to be aware. We need to uh, focus on what God is sharing for us. As he, as he studied Daniel, what he found is that those 70 weeks were only part of a much longer prophetic period. Is that right? So the 70 weeks uh, were part of a much longer prophecy of 2,300 days. And that took him all the way from 457 uh, BC. And, and you can uh, go through with uh, Pastor Jeff and, and Stanley. You go all the way through to AD um, 1844. And what the Bible says is this, that the sanctuary shall be cleansed, right? The sanctuary shall be cleansed. And so, so William Miller is going, uh, he's thinking to himself, what is, the, what is the sanctuary? What is the sanctuary? And he, he comes to the conclusion that the sanctuary is this earth, correct? He, he thought that it was this earth. And so he started to realize, it started to dawn on him, wow, Jesus is coming back. And, and I can imagine, imagine if I came here, and I'm not going to do this because it's uh, not, um, the, the, you know, the, all of the Bible points in, uh, tells us not to do this. But imagine if I came to, to you and said, within four short years, Jesus is coming back. Would you be excited? You'd be excited. And this is what exactly happened. They were so, so excited. They started to get prepared. You would you'd know the history if you understand about the, the Adventist church. 1844, October 22, the, the clock struck and the fact is they were terribly, terribly disappointed, right? They were very, very disappointed. Hiram Edson, one of the, the believers at that time, said this, our fondest hopes and expectations were blasted and such a spirit of weeping came over us as I've never experienced before. It seemed that the loss of all earthly friends could have been no comparison we wept and wept till the day dawn. You know, imagine, imagine crying all night because you thought Jesus is coming today and you just continue to, to weep. Wouldn't you be devastated if you thought that Jesus was coming back today? James White also said that the disappointment of the passing of time was a bitter one. Remember this, this word, a bitter one. True believers had given up all for Christ and had shared in his presence as never, never before. The love of Jesus filled every soul. Would you love Stanmore Church to be filled with the love of Jesus? And, and being from every face, you know, we're, we're not a, a sad, morose church. We have, can be filled with the love of Jesus. And with inexpressible desires, they prayed, come Lord Jesus and come quickly. But he did not come. But he did not come. And I wept. I wept like a child. My question was this, did God abandon his people because they made a mistake in their Bible study? 
Did he abandon them? No, he did not. And what did he do? He sent somebody to share a message. And this person was a young woman, a young teenage girl who only had a third grade education, year three education, amazing. He came to this this young girl, December 1844, just a few months after the great mistake, the great disappointment. He came to her in vision and she had a vision for God's people. And she, God said to her, I want you to share this vision with, with the church. And what did Alan say? Did she say yes or no? She said, yes, I'm going to share it. I'm going to share it. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to just be a respectable person. I'm not going to hide it because people might think I'm uneducated and I can't do it. She said, yes, I'm going to share it. And we are blessed because she shared it. What she saw was this, is that there was this narrow pathway with these cliffs on either side. I don't, I don't know about you, uh, whether you love heights or not. But, you know, one of the things is this, is when you're on this very narrow pathway, you start to feel a bit kind of uh, giddy and queasy, yeah? You, you kind of think to yourself, well, maybe I'll fall off the other side into the darkness. This is exactly what was happening with God's people. And, 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 and people were worried, are we going to fall off into the darkness? But Alan White was given this message that there is somebody we need to focus on, Amen. There is somebody we need to focus on because up there in front of us is Jesus. And when you're walking on a narrow pathway, a pathway where there's terrible things happening right here in Sydney, where in Auckland there can be a shooting at one of our churches, the fact is this, you might be worried about what's happening, but the only thing you can do is look up and focus on Jesus. This is what we need to do, friends. We need to, to stop looking at the Facebook and the conspiracy theories and all of those kind of things. We know there's bad things happening in this world, but we need to focus on Jesus because only when we put our faith and trust in Jesus will we be able to, to walk this narrow way. Amen? Amen? This is what we need to do, friends. And this is what Alan White shared. And this brought Courage. This brought confidence, not, not in ourselves, but confidence in what Jesus can do. If Jesus is leading this church, you have no need to fear of the future of the Stanmore Seventh-day Adventist Church and the Seventh-day Adventist Church around the world. You have no need to be afraid. And you know, the amazing thing is this. As Alan White was sharing this message, one time in a church, there was an African-American called William Foy. William Foy heard this message. And, and this is the record of what, it, uh, the, of what happened uh, as, as Alan White was up the front and, and starting to share this message. You can see this African-American uh, lay preacher down the back. And he was, he was like glued to what she was saying. He was absolutely glued. He became engrossed in what she was saying. He was caught up in the enthusiasm and the pathos, the passion one of the things that people tell me is that um, they, they tell me that I'm a very sort of monotonous kind of speaker. You know, there's no passion in what I say. It's, uh, I'm, they say, you know, I'm, I'm too flat. No, no. They, what they say to me is, you're too passionate. And sometimes they go like, oh, God, just pour a fire hydrant upon me. Just call me down. I don't want to be so passionate. I, you know, I'm, I'm a white person. I shouldn't be preaching like a black guy. You know what I mean? So, but, but you know, 
I, I take courage in this because Alan White was speaking with enthusiasm and pathos and passion. If you know that Jesus loves you and died on the cross for you and coming back, the fact is this, is you can't help but be passionate and be excited about what God is doing. Amen? And, and this, this passion accompanied her presentation. She talked of heavenly things, of guides, of angels, of lights, of things, of imagery, things familiar to, to William. And William's sitting there going like, I know there. I've been there in vision. This is amazing. And, and, and what happened is this. He was so caught up in the joy and the excitement that suddenly he, he couldn't stop it. And he started right in the middle. He, he jumped up. He shouted for joy. And he jumped up and down. I, I, I imagine we could do with a little bit of jumping down, uh, up and down in Stanmore. I'm not saying that we need to get all, you know, sort of um, bouncy or whatever. But the fact is this, is that when you know that God is at work in this church, there, there's a passion, there's an excitement that comes. And this is what Alan White said. She said he was, he was praising the God. He praised the Lord. He praised the Lord. We can praise the Lord today. We can praise the Lord today. And, you know, he, he said, he told the people around and he said to Alan White, he repeated again and again, this vision is just what I've seen. God gave me the vision and now he's given you the vision and I can see the connection. You know, this is, this is not unusual because what happened, Nebuchadnezzar was lying in his bed and Daniel was praying his bedroom and they saw the same vision. Amen? They saw the same vision and he knew that because there was this vision, because they, they had both seen the same thing, that it was a legitimate, it was a true experience. You know, William Foy encouraged Alan White, keep on sharing this message. Keep on prophesying for Jesus because this message is for your church. You know, there was another man who also heard Alan White's message at another church, and his name was Hazen Foss. Hazen Foss. The record tells us that he was a man of fine appearance, looks good, doesn't he? Um, he, was a, he was a man of education, of pleasing address. And, you know, when, when he received that vision, what was his response? No. I will not. I'll not look like a fool for Jesus. I'll not be ridiculed. I'm not going to share the message. And God came back to him. God gave him another chance. God is always a God of second chances and third chances and fourth and fifth um, and God kept coming back to Hazenfoss saying, I have a message that I want you to share with this world. And Hazenfoss kept on saying, no, no. One day God came to him and said, you have grieved away the spirit of the Lord. Friends, church, that is the most terrible message, the most terrible news that you could ever hear, that you have grieved away the spirit of the Lord. You've grieved away the spirit of the Lord. And suddenly, Hazen Foss was, he panicked. He, 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 was, he was distraught. He said, I, I, I have to do something. And so what he did is he, he got all of his friends together. He said, I've, I've got a message. Come down to church. Come, come to this community center. I'm, I'm going to share it with you. So come quickly. You know, I, I can't go down this road. He come, got up the front and he said, I've got a message for you. Nothing. He's got, 
I can't, I can't even remember what it is. It's gone from me. I can say nothing. The Spirit of the Lord has left me. What a terrible situation. And, and the historical record is that there were people in that, that congregation, in the audience, in the crowd, in the group, and, and they said it was the most terrible meeting we'd ever been in. A man who'd refused to, to listen to God, refused to prophesy. And God got and told him, the, the Spirit has left you because you have grieved me, because you have said no. And what happened is this, is that Hazen Foss was in the audience when he heard Ellen White and he said to her, the Lord gave me a message to bear to this people. And after I refused about being the, told about the consequences, I was p- proud. God said to me, I will take this message and give it to someone who will share it. I was proud. I was unreconciled to the disappointment. I heard your talk last night. I believe the visions are taken from me and given to you. Do not refuse to obey God, for it will be at the peril of your soul. I am a lost man. I'm a lost man. You are chosen of God. Be faithful in doing your work. And the crown I might have had, you will receive. He said to her, even though I'm a lost man, you must be faithful. Do not say no to God to prophesy. To, to share the message that God has for this world. You know that group of people, uh, the, 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 the people that have been disappointed, they started to continue to study the Bible. And that's a good thing, right? It's an amazing journey through the Bible. What they did is that they came to the, the book of Revelation. They came to the book of Revelation and, um, and right in the middle or, or a little bit before, there's, there's this amazing scene where John, uh, the Apostle John actually starts to get involved in, in the revelations uh, uh, that, that he's having. Uh, and, and this is what he says, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. Who does this sound like? This sounds like Jesus, right? This sounds like Jesus and, and the, the second coming of Jesus. And, and, and God's people in, in the, the mid-19th uh, century are going like, this is us. This is our experience because it was like that. There's a book that I, I really love uh, when I was a kid, and it's called The Honey Hunt. It's from the Beristain Bears. Does anybody like Beristain Bears? Uh, no? Um, it's, it's a great, great kid's uh, book. Uh, but what happens is this, is that uh, it's, it's a book about... Uh, this bear family. So you've got Papa Bear, and you've got uh, Mother Bear, and you've got Small Bear. And, and Mama Bear is always the sensible one. She always knows what needs to be done. Papa Bear is always the, the overconfident one. He always thinks he knows what needs to be done, but he always gets into trouble. And Small Bear is this kind of curious bear. That little bear is kind of like, what's happening, Dad? What's happening? Um, and, and it's really cool. So what happens in this uh, story is that they're having breakfast and, and the honey in the honey pot runs out. Now, if you're a bear, that's a big problem, right? You run out of honey, it's a big, big problem. And so Mama Bear says to, to uh, Daddy Bear, uh, Papa Bear, uh, go down to the honey store and get us some honey because we need it for our breakfast. Uh, but of course, uh, Papa Bear goes out the, the door uh, with Small Bear and he says, um, I know where to get honey and really good honey. It's not at the store. Uh, where we go to get honey is we go into the wild to get real honey, real honey. 
And they go on this honey hunt. They go on this honey hunt. And it's, it's really fascinating. fascinating. They, uh, the small bear goes, is that a honey tree? How do you know? How do you know this is a real honey tree? And Papa Bear goes, well, it looks just so, and it feels just so, looks so, feels so, so it is so. So if it looks like it is, it must be a real honey tree. Now watch Small Bear, I'm about to take that good old honey out. So he's going like, it, if it, it looks like a honey tree, and it feels like, and it seems like a honey tree, I'm sure it must be a honey tree. What happens, of course, in this story is that he, he digs into the honey tree, and um, of course it's not a honey tree. There, there's, a, there's a porcupine inside. And, and small, small bear is standing off on the side. Of, How are you going? Are you getting a lot? Are you getting much honey or are you not? But of course, the thing is, it's not a honey tree. And Papa Bear gets stung. And that is exactly what happens um, with, with God's people. Wrong kind of tree, wrong kind of tree. Look, Dad, look, Dad. There goes your friend, the bee. They continue following the bee. And this is exactly, exactly what happened with God's people. They thought it was Jesus' second coming. It looks so. It feels so. So it must be so. But they got stung. Is that right? They got stung. Exactly what happened. But you know, the amazing thing is this, is that the story continues. The story continues in Revelation. He had a little scroll open in his hand. And, and Bible scholars tell us that as we journey through the, the book of Revelation, that this little scroll is the book of Daniel. It's the book of Daniel. And what, what uh, the angel says is he interacts with John. He interacts with John and he says to John, you need to, to go uh, go to, to the, um, the angel and take that scroll who's standing on the land and the sea. You need to take it and, and then you need to eat it. So I went to the angel and told me, uh, told him to give me the little scroll and he said to me, take it. And he said, oh man, was that so sweet when he ate that little scroll. And that is exactly the experience they had. You know, the idea that Jesus is coming in a few short years, wow, that would be so sweet. But as you would know, um, the sweetness of that, that message turned into such a bitterness, a stomachache, for two reasons. Number one, Jesus hadn't come. But there is a second reason, and that is because they got ridiculed. They got mocked. They, they, they were laughed at because of the message. But here's the question. Did God give up on his, his people? No, he did not. Because God tells um, uh, uh, John, he tells John, you must prophesy, or you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and people. And so what we find in, in, the, in this, the chapters that follow is number one, the sanctuary in heaven was opened, but we see a judgment commencing in, in heaven. You find that in Revelation and you find it in Daniel as well. And so what we, what we understand is this, is that there is a control center there's a control center in heaven, and this is the salvation control center, the sanctuary in heaven. Before I was a pastor, I was an electrical engineer. One of the things we used to uh, do is we used to go to power stations, and you have those big dams. These are hydro power stations, huge big dams, and these big pipes of water coming to these big turbines. But in terms of to, to control all of this, this machinery, the power going out from this hydro power station, there is a control center with all of these computers that are monitoring everything, and the engineers are watching, watching. And of course, it doesn't have to be just engineers. You can have traffic control. You can have all sorts of things. 
But the fact is this, friends, is that there is a control center to the universe where angels are, are, are watching what's happening, where, where God is actively working on our salvation. All of heaven is focused on your salvation. Do you realize that? All of heaven is focused on your salvation. In, in the book, The Great Controversy, it says this, the sanctuary in heaven is the very center of Christ's work in behalf of men and women. It concerns every soul living upon the earth. It opens to the view the plan of redemption, bringing us down to the very close of time and revealing the triumphant issue of the content, contest between righteousness and sin. It is of the utmost importance that all should thoroughly investigate these subjects and be given uh, to, to be able to give an answer to everyone that asks them for a reason of the hope that is in them. The fact is this, is that right now, God is in the sanctuary with all of his angel forces, uh, angelic uh, beings, and he is focused on your salvation, on your salvation. Amazing. You know, the reality is this, is that you might be saying, oh, I just spend judgment. That sounds like bad. It sounds really bad. You know, we quake in our boots. But I want to tell you, friends, that judgment is good news in the Bible. Do you realize that? Judgment is good news because judgment is, first of all, that the cruel and corrupt kingdoms of this world will be destroyed forever. That's the first thing. Second, in Daniel, God's people will be given his kingdom that lasts forever. Are you glad that you'll be given God's kingdom? God will give you his kingdom. And then the third thing is this. Everything that you think or say or do has eternal significance. Nothing is wasted. It's not, you know, your, your, your moments and your minutes just, oh, just throw them away. You know, just uh, let's read Facebook. Let's do this. It really doesn't matter. No, the judgment says everything you think and say and do has eternal significance and importance. Amazing. And when you think of that in a positive light, that, that means that your lives are significant. They're important. They have eternal value. And there's another thing as well. I need to remind you, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Is that good news? When you're in Christ Jesus, you do not need to fear the judgment. You do not need to fear the judgment. Judgment is good news. And what we find is is that that command to prophesy is linked up with messages in the Bible, the three angels' messages. And we go through and we see this this incredible um, uh, picture. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. Does that mean this message needs to go here in Sydney? Yes, it does. This message needs to go to this, um, this city, to your homes, to your suburbs, to your neighbours and work friends and, and um, family members as well. And the incredible thing is this, is it's in the same kind of format, the same kind of structure that we saw with Nebuchadnezzar, with Jesus and with Peter as well. Because what we see is this, it talks about the kingdom. Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. That sounds like kingdom talk, right? That is kingdom. This is when you're in the kingdom of God, you fear God, you give him glory, you worship him because he's creator. You understand that your lives have significance. That's the kingdom of God. But it also tells us that our lives 
our lives um, in this world. This world has an expiry date. Number one, the, the Babylon has fallen. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. Number two, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on its forehead or in his hand, uh, he will also will drink the wine of God's wrath. It's, I've summarized them a little bit, but you see the same pattern. And it's a call. It's a call. God wants you to be part of his kingdom. He wants you to be part of his kingdom. He, he does not want you to be part of Babylon that falls. You know, it's really amazing. As I go through Revelation, what I see, what I see is a, is a symbol, a picture of a growing movement of people who are saying, yes, we will prophesy. We will prophesy. First of all, and this is symbolic, first of all, you have one apostle and, and God says to him, you must prophesy. And, and John says, I will, I will. Um, I will share the revelation that you've uh, shared with me. Symbolically, you go from one apostle to two witnesses, and and they're given authority to prophesy. They're given authority to prophesy. Then you move on to three angels, and they're uh, proclaiming loudly the the everlasting gospel, the the everlasting good news. Then you move to 144,000 followers of the Lamb. Can you see the growing movement? A growing movement of people. And finally, finally there, there's a great multitude. A great multitude that no one can number. This movement has grown and grown. Here in Australia, uh, right across Australia, we have a, a, a vision for uh, the church. And the vision is that we would be an inspired, thriving disciple-making movement. Is that a great vision? An inspired, thriving disciple-making movement. It's connected. Not only is it a vision for the church in Australia, but it's a vision for the church right across the Pacific, um, of which I'm supporting as well. A thriving Adventist movement, living our hope in Jesus and transforming uh, a Pacific, uh, transforming the Pacific. You know, the fact is this, friends, the fact is this, is that we are not just another denomination. We are a movement We are a prophetic missional movement. And what are the characteristics of this movement? Number one, as I read through Revelation, people in this movement understand the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Is that right? They understand the gospel. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Do you understand the love of God here? Do you understand how much God loves us and that he's freed us from his sin by his blood? Number two, number two, they follow Jesus. This prophetic movement follows Jesus. It is these who follow the lamb wherever he goes. And I want to invite you, friends, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus wherever he goes. You, your lives will not, um, you will not be disappointed if you follow Jesus. Number three, I, I read in the book of Revelation that these people in this prophetic movement have been redeemed. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits from, from God, for God and the Lamb. What does redeemed mean? Redeemed is a word related to slavery. If you're enslaved and if somebody comes and takes you out of slavery, you've been redeemed. My question for us today is this. Are there people living here in Sydney today who are actually trapped 
in slavery. There are. There are. You know, maybe it's not with physical chains, but you know, there are people who are trapped here, who are, who are trapped by, by social media, who are trapped by mental health, who are trapped and enslaved to, to pornography and things like that. The fact is this, is that God has come to redeem you from those things. You know, even in our church, we can be enslaved by some of these things. And I want to tell you today that God has come with a message of freedom, of redemption. You can be freed from anything that might be enslaving you. Is that good news? This is a news that we need to, to, to be willing to understand and to experience as well. God has come to set you free. God has come to set you free. And when you are free, you are free indeed. God will redeem you. From slavery. Number four, uh, I find in Revelation, keep God's commandments and their faith in Jesus. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. We need friends. We need your friends um, be people who keep God's commandments, who love God by keeping his commandments. And then number five, they live supernatural prophetic lives. Does that sound amazing? Live supernatural prophetic lives. You must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages. You know, this is not a sort of tentative, you know, uh, please, I, I, I would like you if, you, if you wouldn't mind, maybe you could think about maybe sort of like in, in five years after you have done a whole lot of theological study, maybe then you could prophesy. Could you give it some thought? Is that what it's saying? No, it's saying you must prophesy. Why? Because this is a message for God's people, for God's world at this time. We must prophesy. And, and we see there as well, then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with a, excuse me, an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. Have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered why God, at the very middle of Revelation, describes his message going to this world depicted by three angels flying in midair. Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever wondered why God does that? You know, I've thought about this and I've thought about it very carefully. And, and I believe that the reason why God depicts this is because he wants us to know that this is not a human message. It's not a human effort. This is a supernatural message depicted by angels flying overhead. And we're invited to be part of a supernatural prophetic movement. It's not just us. There are angels sharing this message in the Muslim world, in China, and places like that as well. You know, I see in the book of Revelation a prophetic disciple-making movement. And what are the characteristics? Understand the gospel. Follow Jesus. Have been redeemed. Keep God's commandments and your faith in Jesus and live a supernatural prophetic life. And my question for you today is, do you want to be part of that movement? Do you want to be part of that movement? Because the fact is this, friends, that one day, oh so soon, we will see something amazing in the sky. We will see something amazing in the sky, a small cloud that grows brighter and brighter And the fact is, uh, friends, that we will see our Saviour, our Saviour who hung on the cross for us, seated on an amazing throne surrounded by his angels, coming back for you, 
coming back for me. And this time, it won't be a disappointment. This time, it'll be for real. This time, it will be for real. And the question is, do you want to be there? Do you want to be there? And you know, shortly after this, you see Jesus coming back, and it's going to be an amazing, amazing day. And, and the fact is this, friends, is that soon after this, you'll be standing beside the sea of glass. You'll be standing beside the sea of glass, and you'll have those palm branches in your hands, and you will be, you'll be jumping up and down. I, I tell you that you won't be sitting there just, you know, just saying, okay, well, it's all cool. I'm, I'm, I'm relaxed here. Thank God. Where's my hammock? No, you, you'll be excited because you're in heaven, right? You'll be excited because you're in heaven. But the question is, question is, will you be just excited because you're there? Or will you be so much more excited because there are people who you have shared this prophetic gospel with and they're standing beside you, your family members, your neighbours, your work friends, your classmates, and they are there as well and they've got palm branches. I know that you'll be excited to be there. I know that you'll be uh, filled with joy to see Jesus on the throne. But your joy will be so much more if you said, yes, I'm willing to share this prophetic message, prophetic message with this, with this dark and sad world. You know, the fact is this, friends, the fact is this, is that we have an opportunity today. We have a choice. And the choice is this. If I go back down through history, I th- find three examples. And I could have picked many other people. I could have picked Isaiah. I could have picked Jeremiah. I could have picked um, Ezekiel or, or others as well. But there are three people who had three responses to, to God. There was a 17-year-old girl with a third grade education, year three education, dropped out of school because not because she didn't want to. God came to her and gave her an amazing message. And what was her response to when God said, I want you to share it? She said, yes. She said, yes. There was another, there was another African-American um, lay preacher, just an ordinary person, an, an African person. And God came to him and gave him a message. And finally, after giving it thought and prayer, what was William Foy's response to God? Yes, yes. And there was another man, a man of good appearance, fine appearance and education, who came with the same vision, the same vision of encouragement, of a narrow pathway that focused on Jesus. And as he thought about the, 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 the response from people that it would be a, a sweet, bitter experience, what did Hazenfoss said? What did he say? He said, no. He said, no. And my, my question for you today is this. As you consider their example, what is going to be your response today? Are you willing? Are you willing to prophesy for God, to share a message for this world? Because Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. He is preparing. He is pouring out his Holy Spirit. And he's going to pour out his Spirit in such splendor and brightness that our churches are going to be lit up with, with God's glory. 
And the question is, do we want to be part of that? Do we want to be part of that? And I want to, I want to give you an opportunity today to make a decision whether you want to be part of this prophetic movement, whether you want to say, say yes to, to God today, or if you want to say no. And the choice is yours. The choice is yours. I want to invite the, um, the, the music team up and we're going to sing uh, the amazing hymn, We Have This Hope. We have this hope. And I want you to sing it. And, and I want to, to give you the opportunity. I know that, that you know, we, we don't necessarily always have times where we can make decisions, where, where we can say yes to, to, to God or, or no to God or whatever it may be. But I want you to, to, as we sing this song, I want to give you an opportunity to make a choice. And if you would like to make a choice to be part of this prophetic movement, I would like to invite you to come down with me in the front when I, when I give a call at the end. And I would like to pray with you that, that the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon you. You know, you might have made a decision for, for Jesus before, but I want to say that this is an opportunity where you could say, yes, I want to be, be part of that prophetic movement. I want to say yes to Jesus today. This message was made available by the Stanmore Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit stanmoresdachurch.net. It's been a pleasure bringing you this program here on 3ABN Australia Radio. Read the book of Psalms and you see that there are times David expresses frustration and fear. We remember David was king. Things weren't always well with his kingdom. Things weren't always well with him. But notice what he says in Psalm 56 verses 2 and 3. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me, O Most High. Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Fear is a powerful emotion. But being able to trust, being able to be calm, that's a powerful help when fear floods into your mind. When you're afraid, when you fear, where does your mind go? John Wesley's life was changed when he was on a ship in a storm. The Christian believers on board had no fear. He was terrified, but their trust was in God. When fear grips you, trust in God, just like David did. I'm John Bradshaw for It Is Written. Let's live today by every word.